Chapter Five of Two Sides to Every Question by Maud Jean Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Elsie's influence. Elsie, Elsie. There was no response to the call, for the young lady in question was by far too much interested in the fortunes of an ideal heroine to hear her sister's voice. She was seated in a most inviting garden lounge not far from the widely open window through which the voice came her wealth of fair hair pushed away from her brow by a little white hand as she leant low over her book in which she had become so absorbed as to be oblivious to everything around her one little velvet slippered foot strayed from beneath the delicate blue muslin of her morning robe that clear azure muslin without stripe or pattern so difficult to obtain yet so exquisitely beautiful elsie liked everything beautiful and delicate from the real lace at her throat and sleeves to the dainty embroidered slipper and a very lovely picture she made lying back in the luxurious lounge or bending over her book till her soft ripples of fair hair fell over her shoulders like a veil elsie elsie the call was repeated and this time rather more impatiently she slowly rose then and throwing her book with its ominous yellow covers on to the seat as she left it as slowly approached the window "'What do you want, Lily?' she quietly asked. "'I could not think where you had vanished,' said Lily, approaching the window. "'Why, we want you. Mamma wants you to tell Miss Smith how you wish your new muslins made, with or without flounces.' "'Oh, with flounces, of course, and plenty of pretty frilling too, please,' said Elsie, preparing to return to her book. "'Is that all? Do you want me for anything else?' "'Yes, certainly. Stop for a moment. What is the use of hurrying?' Mamma says flounces and frilling make a great deal of work, and she does not think all the things will be done in time for your visits without you assist yourself. I have been working for the last hour, while you have been nowhere. Oh, but Lily, you know how I dislike work. I would almost rather go without the dresses, though I cannot do that either. Why can't we get more help? I am sure we might if we tried. But Miss Smith knows no one. Dressmakers are all so busy. And besides, there is all that heap of plain work to be done. I cannot help it, Lily. I never was good for anything but fancy work. You know very well, if I sat all day, my assistance would be worth very little. And Elsie Clinton laughed a low, musical laugh at the very idea. We must have more help then in some way. But Elsie, you will have to go to town to find it. I cannot be spared. Mamma is not well. Besides, and needs attention, and Miss Smith requires all the help that I can give her. Oh, of course you cannot be spared, Lily, dear. You know just what suits me, and can advise so much better than I can. And then Mamma does like you so much better about her when she is ill. You seem to know just what to do. I can go, certainly, and I dare say I shall find someone to help. Very well, Elsie. I'll tell John to bring home the pony carriage in half an hour. Can you be ready by that time? Yes. I have only my hat to put on, and turning from the window, not daring to look towards the yellow-covered book, fearing that the sight of it and her pleasant seat under the veranda might prove too sore a temptation, Elsie went through the hall and up the broad staircase to her own room to equip herself for the drive, while Lily turned briskly towards the servants' offices to give her orders to John, and to see if Cook was making any preparation for her mamma's luncheon. Very different-looking were the sisters and not rightly named, for Lily was not half so fair as her sister. Her hair was a fine rich brown, and her eyes dark grey. 
she had not very regular features either but the general effect was pleasing for the eyes were penetrating and genuine and the mouth ready with a smile whenever occasion called for it there was a little decided set of the mouth too that spoke of determination a firm planting of the foot and slight elevation of the head that betrayed a will but there was power with the will the broad brow showed that and lily could always be relied on in an emergency there were two years between the sisters but any one would have declared lily the eldest she was tall and stout almost to embonpoint like her mother who was decidedly what is esteemed a fine woman large and fair and comely like her mother also she was a good practical manager and she had all her father's fondness for gain and would not on any account have permitted herself to dream of mesalliance she gloried in wealth for its own sake it was a power in itself yet she had many excellent qualities she was an affectionate daughter and a kind sister and arthur delta had always found the practical lily a fast friend though perhaps had she suspected the feelings with which he regarded elsie she would not have received him so kindly but she was not suspicious and believed that elsie like herself simply welcomed him as a cousin considering him a very agreeable addition to the society of their home yes every one would have believed lily the elder of the two as she stood on the broad steps giving her final directions her soft brown hair braided closely round her well-shaped head while the delicate folds of grey cashmere draping her fine figure relieved the lace and rose-coloured ribbons at the throat elsie's small shell-like ears were unadorned but lily had magnificent earrings of ruby and gold a large brooch of the same and a massive chain to her tiny gold watch elsie wore a watch chain too but it was delicate like herself of beautiful workmanship but delicate and it was more than half concealed amid the azure folds of her dress a very great contrast those sisters certainly were the one the embodiment of all that is graceful lovely and feminine the other also graceful but of more dignified presence and young as she was bearing promise of a magnificent maturity she was giving various delicate little commissions to her sister things that were really needed and required but yet were to be entrusted to no unrefined taste elsie rather liked these commissions she liked anything to do with the refinements of life and lily knew it her more practical orders those having to do with important but more prosaical necessaries of daily life were given over to john's attention between them there were many things to be done for living as they did a few miles out of town it was essential for these visits to be made of practical utility the drive into adelaide was a very pleasant one leaving the hills behind the wild stretch of uncleared land the roads with their neat fences hedged here and there by wild rose bushes or firs or kangaroo they gradually came upon collected groups of houses and bowery gardens and flower borders till the shops began to mingle with the houses and adelaide became every moment more visible to the office first john i must see papa said elsie as they rolled along the streets where the busy life of adelaide was apparent on every side where the rich and the poor jostled each other on the same pavement and the innocent and the guilty passed side by side will i call the master out here miss or will ye go in yourself asked the man respectfully oh i will go myself thank you i shall not be very long you need not leave the ponies i know they are rather fresh to-day and elsie sprang lightly from the low carriage to the pavement 
and went softly forward to the office door. "'Is Papa—Mr. Clinton, I mean—is he in?' she asked of a youth who was writing at the first desk she approached. It was Tom Alton who sprang from his seat to answer her, that— "'Mr. Clinton was out, but would return in a few minutes.' the colour rising in his face and flushing it with crimson as he did so. But the sound of her voice had reached other ears, and Arthur Delta from the end of the office, where he had been employed all the morning, came eagerly forward. He had been thinking of her, thinking of her all the morning. Thoughts of her had mingled with the duties of the desk and the warehouse, for he had made his first venture, his money had been drawn, and his first shares bought in a new mining company where, according to their own account there were likely to be all prizes and no blanks he had been further induced to the choice from the discovery that his uncle had a few shares in the same company and yet he did not feel sanguine of success what if he lost after all he was in a state of feverish excitement and betrayed it in so many ways that more than once his uncle looked curiously at him wondering what new phase of character was developing once or twice thoughts of his mother had mingled with his other feelings, and the recollection of her horror of speculation made him turn cold. Yet what was he venturing his little all for? The soft musical accents that met his ear, and the sweet vision of Elsie Clinton answered him fully, and as he went eagerly forward to meet her, all other feelings were merged in one of great gladness that all he had done was for her. "'So Papa is out,' said Elsie with a laugh. Well, it does not signify. I wanted a cheque, but I can get the bill sent in to him. That will do as well. But Arthur, she added in a low voice, we want you next Friday. We have friends coming then, the friends I am going to visit in Melbourne. I shall return with them, and we want a thoroughly musical evening. Will you come? Will I? Of course I will, Elsie, if Uncle snub me ever so much, if you wish it. I wish we could practice those duets together first. But there, you don't require practice. That is the beauty of singing at sight. I wish I possessed that gift. You possess so many rarer gifts, Elsie, that you need not regret the omission of this one. And you really go next week? Yes, by the next Melbourne steamer. We wanted the Lees to remain another week. But Dr. Lee can spare no longer time from his practice. They have been three weeks at Gawler, where they have friends already. You will come on Friday, then. I shall get Lily to tell Papa we have asked you, and that you are coming. And she turned to go as she spoke. He turned with her. Elsie, he exclaimed in a low voice as they stood a moment on the footpath, while he arranged the cushions in the carriage for her reception. I have done as you advised. I have made my first venture. I have been buying shares. Have you? That's right. Then you are going to be rich. I am so glad. And the pretty girl sprang to her seat and drew down her veil to hide the blushes that came unbidden to her fair face. But all do not win prizes, you know, Elsie. Ah, but you will. Now, don't be dismal, Arthur. I want you to be your gayest when you come on Friday. She waved her hand gaily to him as the ponies drove off, leaving him standing on the pavement, fascinated as usual and almost forgetful that other eyes might detect the feeling and report. He turned back slowly to the office. How dark it had suddenly become! Had he ever before noticed its dreary light, the spider spinning its web in the corner near his desk, 
or the long straggling sunbeam full of motes that darted obliquely past him to the dusty floor how long would it be before these shares would realize if there was only a fortunate rise in the market that he might sell out and purchase more he knew such things had been and by this sort of fortunate selling this traffic in shares men had made fortunes why not he elsie was sanguine enough why should he be dismal only he wanted so much so much and the sight of the lovely girl herself so delicately dressed so fairly surrounded only reminded him of his poverty and that he must possess much indeed if he would win her and meanwhile leaning back amidst the soft cushions of the pony carriage elsie drove through the streets without an idea of the trouble and anxiety in her cousin's mind she only noticed that he looked exceedingly handsome that morning in his grey office suit and that his tie was particularly becoming she was delighted besides that she had been able to accomplish her real errand at the office and had secured him for friday she never cast a thought to the future and if she did it was only to think arthur will be rich yet and have a right to ask papa for me that at any rate was a day in the far distance and she was quite willing it should be so they need not trouble about that if only arthur could come a little oftener for the present she should be quite happy enough and elsie lived only for the present for if the future of her everyday life was put away from her how much more the life beyond the grave which is as real as certain and of infinitely higher importance she drove through the streets executing her dainty little commissions but still unsuccessful in procuring help for her work that was annoying for it was a present difficulty one she could not overcome without assistance from place to place she drove inquiring everywhere but to no purpose and even quiet john's patience was becoming exhausted for it was growing late when just as they turned into king william street tom alton came running towards them with a note in his hand mr clinton saw you in town and told me to see if i could find you said tom lifting his hat he will not be home till late and desired me to give you this note thank you for mamma i see is this all no other message for me no miss clinton he has gone out again and once more lifting his hat tom was turning away when elsie exclaimed with a sigh of weariness we have been driving about trying though vainly to find a dressmaker or needlewoman i suppose you cannot help us tom hesitated and coloured deeply as he answered would machine work do indeed it would better than any other oh if you could tell where i could obtain that assistance you will confer a favour my sister has a machine she is generally fully employed as long as it is good for her to work but she may be able to do what you require it cost tom a great effort to say that but he shook off the feeling of pride as well he might for a little of the glamour that affected arthur in the presence of his cousin rested on him ah thank you you have done me a service elsie's soft musical voice replied will you give the address to john and we will go at once and tom elton went on his way with that musical thank you echoing in his ears feeling somehow considerably elevated as though he had performed a meritorious action and that was elsie clinton's first introduction to nettie alton so fair a vision had never before lighted up the little house in the back street 
and nettie was presently almost as much under the influence of the sweet voice and smile and delicate beauty of her fair visitor as tom or arthur himself not quite for her open ingenuous nature detected something wanting even where everything was so fair she could not however withstand the petition for help so pleadingly given and consented at once to put off her other work and take all that elsie liked to send to her so elsie accomplished her errand and rode back in triumph to clinton park and nettie had never thought how dingy and poor the little room looked till she turned back as the ponies and their lovely mistress drove off and sat silently down to the click click of her sewing machine End of chapter five